thanks to the young ladies for the special music and to Mr. Wakefield, very fine, thoughtful sermonette. Makes us think, and we've got to prove things to ourselves. And of course, it's very good to occasionally remind us that there are technical things in the Bible that the world kind of makes fun of or tries to find some error in. And uh, we used to have a whole book of misquoted or misinterpreted Bible verses. I think it's still around somewhere. But it's important to kind of know a number of these things at least and certainly not ever be shaken by them yourself. Because when you look into it thoroughly, as he explained today in this particular case, then you find out that the Bible is right after all and it does not contradict itself. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 35, the scripture cannot be broken. You can't disprove anything in the Bible, frankly, by science. You can't disprove anything by saying one verse in the Bible contradicts another one, because when you look at it correctly, it does. It doesn't do that. Of course, the scientists make fun of creationism, because some errors are in the theory called creationism. And then the old-fashioned fundamentalists of religion used to say that God created the world and the universe 6,000 years ago. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. You all know that. It says, in the beginning. It does not say when the beginning was. It might have been 5 billion or 5 trillion years ago, and they don't know. I used to keep a whole file on that. That was way back in Pasadena, back about 30, 40 years ago, for years. And at first they were saying two and a half million years ago, and then they said four million years ago, and then six, and the last count was up to 18 million or something. It kept getting more and more, of course, because they don't know. And they're guessing, they have educated guesses, but when you look at it, they keep changing every few years, and the answer is they don't know. They were not there in the first place, and they have various methods of measuring, which are often proved later to be inaccurate, but God is not inaccurate. And when you look into the Bible carefully, you can see that every word of God is inspired by the great God that created us and made us in his image. I got off on a sermon ad here before my sermon. <laughs> Welcome to any of you who are new this afternoon, and I hope you do sign the guest book. And I certainly appreciate everyone coming. Most of you came back from the mountains or wherever you've been. So last week, we, I think we just had 181 and today we have 219, so we're getting back to our 220 to 240 average, and that's good. Brethren, and brethren around the world, and I certainly greet all of you brethren who may be seeing this or hearing this later in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, and over in Australia, in Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and Adelaide, where the office is, and all around the world, here in America, I know it's not where you are, but here in America, tomorrow is Father's Day. And most of us here in America try to honor our Father. It's not wrong to observe Thanksgiving to give God thanks as a national holiday. That's not sinful at all. We're not saying people have to do that. It's not a day of worship. It's not a holy day, but we observe it in the same day with Father's Day and Mother's Day. So we certainly should honor our mothers and our fathers very much. God Almighty wants us to do that, and I think we all know that, and that's very important. Back in Exodus chapter 20, when you think of the background of this, this section of the Bible here, it shows how God appeared on Mount Sinai, and there were thunderings and lightnings, and the whole mountain shook, and Moses even said later, my, my, I'm very fearful. And he was shaking at the power of God, even though he had known God so well. 
So then God spoke all these words saying, I am the ever-living one, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he said, you're not to make any carved image. You're not to take the name of God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You can't keep cold water hot. You can't make something holy unless it is made holy by God. So God didn't say make it holy. He said keep it holy because he made this day holy. Then he said, honor, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is living you. Even carnal children ought to learn from that because if they obey their father and mother as a little child, chances are they will live a lot longer because both their normal fathers and mothers at least would want to take care of them, protect them, keep them from falling into the bathtub or the swimming pool, from running out on the street and getting killed and all that kind of thing. I know my older children will all remember and they'll smile if they hear this later on the tape. My daughter Elizabeth down in Houston and my other daughter Rebecca over in uh, Austin, Texas. But I, when they were growing up, we lived right on Orange Grove in Pasadena, that famous avenue which had become a type of freeway. Later they built a literal freeway just about one block east of that, but at this point they didn't have that and it was just terribly busy. The cars were rushing back and forth, breaking the speed limit. And we were given a college house right there. So I literally took the kids out. I don't remember if Elizabeth or Rebecca was old enough to do that. Maybe not. But I took the three older ones out, Elizabeth, Mike, and Jim, and I got them out there. See these big cars? And if you get out in the street, they're going to knock you down. I knocked them all down on the grass, of course. I, I tried to make it very realistic. I think I overdid it, but maybe not. None of them ever got killed, at least. And I, I really tried to teach them to stay out of that place. And we tried to have the door locked to the backyard so they couldn't get out. But little boys will kind of find a way to get out, as you know. Anyway, so I tried to make them fear in the right way. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And there is an awe of God. And there is a right fear. The wise man fears and departs from evil. God says. He does, he's not a coward, but he sees the danger and he has a right fear, a healthy respect for desire to live on, and he stays away from that fire explosion or a flooding of a river so he doesn't try to forward through that in his car or whatever it is. So I tried to help them in that way as their father and many, many other things as they were growing up, and a human father or mother will help us live longer and do many other hundreds of things for us. We need to remember, brethren, and I know all of you do, our ultimate father is God. And I've told you the story about my human father dying back in July 3rd, 1963, and I was on the way to New York, but I detoured by Joplin and stopped there to be there for his funeral, and then went right on on a trip around the world. We'd already signed up for David John Hill and I, got a cut-rate deal, and I was climbing near the top of one of the biggest pyramids. I can't promise it was the Great Pyramid, but it was one of the big ones there in the moonlight. And I was picturing my father lying back in the Ozark Memorial Cemetery. Somehow I was up there and saw the moon and all alone. Thinking, he's back there and I'm out here in Egypt of all things. And I don't have any human father, but I've got to carry on. God is my only father now. And so it helped me to carry on thinking of those things. And I had a very good human father. 
as many of you did. Some of our young people in the church growing up today, and literally tens of millions of young people who are not in God's church, did not have a father at all. Some young men desert their wives or never even get married in the first place, and the young woman has to raise the child without a father. That's a horrible thing. They've proved, even the liberal sociologists, who are usually very liberal, that a child functions much better, has better physical, mental, and emotional health if a father is in that home. doesn't have to be a perfect father, but any father that shows a fair amount of attention and is there. Every sexual pervert that I've ever known, homosexual, and I've counseled several through the years, and fell up and broke down and cried as they were talking to me. I remember one young man grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and he was raised by his mother and three older sisters. And as he grew up as a little tiny boy, his mother was working and his sisters played with him, and they began to play with him like he was a little girl or like a doll. And they began to even fondle him. And so he was used to being handled by women rather than him being the aggressor. It changed his mind. And he became a homosexual for many reasons. But the main one, no doubt, was he did not have a father at all. And he was in, had a perverted way of relating to women because of what his sisters did. A father is very important. Very important. My human father was not converted. God did not call him, but he was a good man, as they say, in every way. I know he didn't even drink. Once or twice a year, he would drink beer up at Uncle Claude's house when he would offer him something, and we were mowing the lawn and helping him. He would get hot, and he'd have one or two beers in the sun. That was it. He never got drunk. He never did bad things in that way. But I always remember his love, his steadfastness, he worked and worked and worked to take care of us, even during the Great Depression. We always had enough to eat, and he had to work hard. And sometimes he'd come home, he was so tired, he literally flopped on the rug before dinner, just lay right flat on the rug. He was so tired and almost went to sleep, and the mother would get the dinner finished, then he would get up and eat and be okay until bedtime. He was steadfast. He was a hard worker. We never wondered, is he going to leave us? No. We never heard our father and mother argue as though they were going to break up or have a divorce. I never, ever heard that at any time. They had little disagreements, as humans do. I think all married couples have disagreements. If they say they're not, we ought to sign them up for the Liars Club. I remember Mr. Armstrong talked about these businessmen that had the Liars Club. <laughs> if you did certain things or said you didn't, they would even kick you out of the Liars Club if you lied that bad. But anyway, virtually all human beings, of course, have disagreements. But he was a good man. He worked hard. And I can always remember him taking me in this big rowboat on Elk River and walking along the shallows, tying the boat up or something. He put this big spike, was in the grasses. He couldn't see it on some rusty board up inside his rusty nail, I should say, on this old board up in his foot. And the blood was gushing out inside of his tennis shoe, and I could see his face was turning white with pain. But he said, I've got to get Roddy home. And so he got in that boat, was struggling, rowed me across the Elk River, took my arm and helped me climb up this steep hill, and he was going to get me home or know the reason why. He always took care of me. Once I got smart aleck, about six or eight years old, and we got out on the edge of the stream. You've heard me tell this before but I was kind of dancing around there and the stream was getting rough in that particular place. 
He said, don't get out where it's swift, Roddy. The, the current will sweep your feet out and you're liable to go downstream and drown. Well, of course, I had to be a normal boy and do that very thing. And all of a sudden, I saw his face turn white again. He had very pale skin and freckles, little freckles, and his light blue eyes, kind of like Mrs. Ames' eyes. She got my father's eyes. His light blue eyes flashed, and he took off like Tarzan. And I felt that strong arm grab me and save me and bring me back. He was a very, very good swimmer. He was made an assistant coach, a swimming coach, in the college he went to, about the size of Ambassador College, where he met my mother. Baker University is still there in Baldwin City, Kansas, out west of Kansas City, where she grew up. But he was a very good athlete. He was a very good hardball pitcher. He was the best pitcher on the team. And also, he could chin himself three times with his right arm. Try it sometime, you young guys, if you think you're strong. He did it from a dead hang. He, didn't, he would just hold that he would pull clear up three times with one arm. Try it. Tell me if you can make it. I've never done it. But he did that three times, once with his left arm. So he was very strongly built in his chest and shoulders and arms. I got my mother's build more and her light skin and her dark blue piercing eyes, which looked good on her and on Elizabeth, but used to make people afraid of me because my piercing eyes would come through my thick glasses and frighten people. I don't know why, but they're frightened of me. Anyway, my mother had those same eyes. But my father was all man, and he told me to be a man. He told me to drive myself to be a success. He didn't give me great long talks on success, but once in a while he'd make some comments, and when he spoke, he met it, and I knew he met it because he lived it. So I appreciate everything he did. Near the end of his life, he began hearing the program after he saw me and Catherine in Ambassador College. And he told me one day, he said, Roddy, he says, I'm getting old and I'm kind of hard-headed, as you know, and someday I think I'm going to have to be baptized. And when I do, I want one of you boys from the college to do it. So he'd come that far, but then he died two or three years later and God did not fully open his mind yet. But I'll see him in a few years in the great white throne judgment, as all of us will see so many of our relatives and loved ones at that time, and we look forward to that, because God is our Father, and even my Father was the Son of God, as you young people in the room here who are not converted, are sons of daughters of God, in a general way. We are all children of God by virtue of creation. We're not spiritual sons of God until we're baptized, but we're all children of God. The Bible indicates that by virtue of creation. So, you know, Jesus, when he was teaching his unconverted apostles, they were unconverted when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, but he told them to pray. He said, Our Father. It wasn't their father spiritually, yet they weren't converted. But God was their father because he is the creator of every one of us, and we need to deeply appreciate him as our father. He's the one who made us in his image. He is our ultimate father. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 1, I'm reading some things we're familiar with, I know, but I want to do this and set the stage here. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that was maybe billions of years ago, and we don't know. 
we don't know. A man keeps changing the dates, and they'll sometimes say millions and sometimes billions, more recently billions, of course, but they don't know either. So it shows how he made the, the sun, moon, and stars in the, in the sky for signs and seasons. And then in verse 24, he made every living creature according to his kind, and the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, creeping things on the earth after its kind, and he saw it was good. Then verse 26, then God said, let us. In the beginning, there were two personalities. One was the one we call God the Father. The other one was the one we call Jesus Christ. He was the rock, the logos, the spokesman, the Lord of the Old Testament. He's the one who spoke, of course, directly with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's the one who spoke with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and so on. But let us... The two beings in God's family make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. So God made them male and female, he goes on to show, and he created them and all of it was very good. It was very good because God made a beautiful earth and God made us in his image and he made us male and female and he gave us the joys, you know, of life in so many different ways of a beautiful earth, all the things we can enjoy here. And he gave us the joy of having the opposite sex too, which is right. And I was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. God's not embarrassed about that. He made us to be one in marriage. He made us to love one another. And he wants us to get married and to love one another. So he told the man and woman, the very first thing he told them was don't be, be afraid of each other. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, we don't need to replenish the earth quite as much as they did then, but you do read the statistics that the American white population is falling off regularly and the immigrants coming in are outnumbering us. We don't have the normal love and drive and desire to build a family that we used to have, and that's very sad because that is contrary to God's plan, frankly. His plan was for man and woman to love each other and to have children and to have good families at least and quite often in big families as they did in the Bible. So God's plan was that and he made it in his image. He said, let them have dominion. And so we're made in God's image in the physical sense of having eyes and ears and hands and feet like God. But God is spirit and we're flesh. We're also made in his image so we can have dominion. We are giving understanding. We're giving a real mind, not just animal brain. We're given creative imagination, such as no other creature has. And I've told you how my friend Dr. Robert Kuhn, who's the one who helped Mr. Armstrong write the whole book series on, on uh, the spirit and man and sections of his book later that are put in there at least, and other books which were from Dr. Kuhn, who got his degree in brain research from UCLA Brain Research Institute, which was the best on earth at that time. Robert was a good friend of mine. And he explained how in the test tubes, literally, in these brain institutions, they'll have a brain of a little tiny something, maybe a, a toad or a frog, tiny little thing, and then they'll have a chicken brain, then they'll have a pig brain, and then they'll have a cat brain, and then a dog brain, and finally they'll get up to a horse brain, which is bigger and more complicated in its configuration, then they'll get up to a brain of a chimpanzee or a dolphin. 
and they're both about equally smart, they can't be positive simply because the dolphin doesn't have hands and feet or even paws. You know, a chimpanzee could do more because it has the equipment to do it with, but as far as they can test, they're about the same. Their brains like this, they could do certain things. But then they try out the various things about what would test the capacity of the human brain, and the human brain is a little bit bigger proportionate to the size, a little bit more complicated, not much, in its configuration, the electrical wiring, as Robert said it, using very layman's language I can understand, a little more complicated, so it ought to be about 5 to 8% better than the dog's brain, or the, excuse me, the brain of the, of the uh, dolphin or the chimpanzee. They're up here, and so the man's brain should be about here. But instead of being about here, it's suddenly up above the ceiling. It just right off the charts. What? There is a God, that's why. And God made us in His image. And He did not make those animals in His image. And they do not have the spirit in man that joins with the human brain, which is already very superior and gives us a capacity of understanding and insight and creative imagination. And so God is our Father, and He gave us all those things for which we should be very, very thankful indeed and understand that this all came from God. And yet He wants us to be a family, and He wants us to reproduce and have children so His family will be larger in due time as His purpose is being worked out. Back in Psalm 127, I used this a couple of weeks ago. I'll use it again. It won't hurt you to hear it. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the ever-living one. Children, if they're rightly trained, if you understand the meaning of life, can be a great blessing from God. The fruit of the womb is his reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. It's better to have children when you're young. I know my wife and I keep our grandchildren, David's little girls sometimes, and our little littlest one that you see her staggering around here, uh, she's like she's drunk. She's not drunk. She's really cute. She's just a year and a half old, and she goes around like this, and she walks even more drunken-like than I do, in spite of my stroke. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to watch her stagger around. But at any rate, uh, they're a lot of fun. And yet, as Cheryl said, it, as she doesn't keep them every day. She keeps them once in a while. It's better that you have your children when you're young. A word to the wise. <laughs> you get so tired if you've got children up in your 40s, which some people do. The person, people can get very tired. So the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. In other words, you have some strong young men... And, of course, this was written back in the time of the warriors of Israel, and you have some big, strong young sons, and they're, gonna, they're not going to speak with the enemies of the gate. They're going to say, get out of here. Leave my dad alone, or I'll, do what's what, I'll fix your wagon, you know, whatever they'll tell them. You'll have strong warriors on your side if you have strong sons. Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Eternal, who has that awe of God, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you'll be happy. It shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. God wants family. He wants the husband to be the head of the family. In the very heart of your house, your children, 
like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man, certainly the woman too, but the man is pictured here as leading the house. So shall the man be blessed who fears the ever-living one. So we certainly should have that blessing from God if we can and know that it is from God. It is all part of God's purpose and part of his way for all of us to have a wonderful life. Turn with me now, brethren, back in Matthew chapter 2. Turn to Matthew chapter 2 at this point. Mr. Wakefield gave you something a little technical. This is not as technical, but something I think will help you. In Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 11... Notice it says here, when Joseph and Mary had come into the house after Jesus was born here, it's talking about Christ's birth, they saw the young child, I'm sorry, this is the wise men, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, and they gave gifts. Verse 12, then these wise men, being divinely warned in a dream, God did give revelation, he gave dreams sometimes. And as we get near the end of the age, he may do more of that for us. If we walk with God, talk with God all day long, commune with God, obey God, he will guide us more directly in the days to come. Then being divinely warned that they should not go back to Herod, they departed to their own country. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel. So God sent a messenger of the Lord appeared to Joseph. He didn't appear to Mary, he appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Heron is going to try to destroy the young child. Not some new doctrine. It just, as you read through the Bible, the Bible indicates constantly, and I know I need to say this sometimes, because a lot of our young people in the church are bombarded, and a lot of you young women are bombarded with the idea that, Women and men are the same and we have the same roles and the same function of leadership. We do not. Dr. Douglas Winnell gave a fine series of sermons years ago when we were in San Diego where even some of the women psychologists were rebutting that idea and showing that's wrong. That's wrong. But women are getting that idea today and just acting like they're so disappointed. Why aren't there many more women at the head of major corporations? Well, because that is not God's plan. That's not because the women are a failure. That was not the way God made a woman's brain. That is God, God's plan. Now, if I had a lot of liberals in here, they'd probably yell and get rid of me. They got yelled and got rid of one of the most intelligent men in the administration a few years ago, Larry Summers. He was Jewish, had a brilliant mind, and he had the audacity at Harvard University to say that young men's minds are, you know, went better to mathematics and science. And so the women got just hysterical about that and yelled and protested, and they got him literally kicked out. Later, President Obama put him in as his, I think, a financial advisor of some sort. He's a brilliant man. He knew that. Most people know that automatically. But God had the man take the lead. And so then later they went over to Egypt, and then God warned again that they should leave. And so when Herod was dead, verse 19, an angel of the Lord appeared a dream, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So now another dream comes. Who does it come to? Joseph. 
Arise, take the young child and his mother. Can you imagine a woman's liver today hearing that? No man's going to take me. Oh, okay. You just stay in Egypt then and you'll be destroyed. God gave the revelation through the man. He gave the revelation through the head of the family. And I tell all of you young women that are not married and other women, some of you have unconverted husbands. And we know there's one exception. A woman should follow her husband and want him, not just allow him, but want him to be the head of the house and back him up in that in every case but one. If the husband turns against God and tries to make her husband deliberately or her wife, his wife deliberately turned away from God, then you must obey God rather than man. That would be the only exception. And I remember trying to warn the girls in Ambassador College, and I taught scores or maybe hundreds of them, and well, hundreds, I'm sure, over the years. I said, look, you girls follow your husband, but if your husband tries to lead you away, don't just automatically go off with him. Of course, the vast majority do. But some today don't want to follow their husbands even in a good way. And so there is a right balance. Don't let your husband directly take you away from God and God's way. And you men, you're being bombarded with the idea, you young men and you young men around the world, not just you men in this church here, this local congregation, the idea we're all the same, we're all the same. No, we are not all the same. It's just a recent phenomenon of the last 15 or 20 years where people's minds are being bombarded with all this stuff all over the world and all human history for 6,000 years, who has generally been the head. Were they all primitive? No. Back in the day when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon and said a small step for man and a big step for mankind or whatever, they were having space crafts, they were going to the moon, all kinds of marvelous things. They weren't uh, dumb, they weren't back in the Pleistocene age or the Stone Age or something in our time all over China, India, Russia, Germany, France, Italy, all over South America, Central America, the United States, the men were obviously the leaders who came here to this country, mainly the men at the very beginning. Then they would clear the fields and they would have a place for safety. Then entire shiploads of women were brought over. Some few hardy souls came first, but they were more, far more men than women. And then the men built a civilization, built a city, made it safe, then the women could come in and do the things that they were able to do and should do in making a society a really society and making a house a home. I'm so glad my wife does things that I could not do in that way, the type of decorating and the type of service and making a house a home and taking care of the children and raising a whole new generation. That's so important. So we have to understand the differences in what God Almighty intended. It's not some strange idea of the church, you young people. You read it so much the other way. You're seeing it on TV all the time. It's like Dagwood and Blondie. It started a little bit even way back and then. Dagwood was pictured in this old cartoon thing like he was kind of a dunce. And he would slip and fall and Blondie would be the crisp young woman who helped him get up and clean himself off and get going again like he had to have her help in that way. But that picture of the man being adult and a woman being the one who actually ran things, and yet back then, frankly, men were doing the majority of everything. Look at the, at the uh, people who get the uh, Nobel Prizes. Who are they? Well, most of you know they're men. About 99% are men. 
Is it that women have had their hands tied behind their back for the last hundred years? No. But men have a degree of greater creative imagination out to the very forefront of things beyond what a woman does. God made it that way. That's not some new illustration. It's something that human beings have always tended to realize in nearly every society for the past 6,000 years. You say, what about Margaret Thatcher? I honor Margaret Thatcher. Every once in a while, one in 10 million women, I don't mean to say this the wrong way, will suddenly get to the very top. And maybe, maybe only one in 100 million or 500 million men will get to the very top in that way. They have a much greater opportunity to because they're made by God to have greater creative imagination and they can think more logically, objectively, and God made them to be the leaders. And it's good for women to realize that. As we honor our father, our human father, God made him to be the leader. As you young women have a man who is your husband and the father of your children, honor him. Don't fight him. Allow him to be and want him to be and pray for God to guide him to be the right kind of a father. Not some guy like, I know I had people in the college where we used to teach uh, the leadership of the men a lot and we had to finally warn the men not to take advantage of that because sometimes a beautiful young girl was very happy and sweet around the college and she'd marry this man and within three to six months you could see the smile off her face and she was looking at the ground. The man was oppressing her and oppressing her and said, you know who's in charge here. That's wrong, men. I'm not talking about that kind of leadership. That's not leadership. That's oppression. That's a dictatorship. So either extreme is wrong, but we should understand God's purpose in all of this. I know I'll get some flack from some of the women who won't agree with God, but you're actually arguing with God. You're not arguing with me, and you're arguing with 6,000 years of human history, too. Who's been leading the world and all the nations on the world? Who's been leading in science and business and industry and everything else? You know that if you read widely, which I do, it was men, because God made them to do that, and that's not weird, that's not putting women down, it's just made that each of us has been given a different role. So we have to understand that. In the Great Tribulation, a lot of these women livers now who are saying, we're all the same. I'll tell you when the armies come in and begin to round people up and they see people shot down and beaten and people screaming for being beaten with the butt of guns of the invading army, a lot of them are going to wish their daddy was there or their big brother was there, or if they had their husband there who would help them. Their whole attitude will change very, very quickly in the Great Tribulation, and certainly in tomorrow's world. So we should honor what God has done in those ways. Back in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, something else is basic here that I think is important. We don't touch on this very much, but I think we should, as a church, tell our young people especially, and new people, what is the mind of God on these basic things? 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep your traditions. So he begins to explain some of the traditions of God's church guided by God. But I, uh, that I delivered to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. 
Christ is the direct head of every man, of course, especially in the church that acknowledges that. And the head of the woman is what? Christ? No. The immediate head is the man. The immediate head. That's what God's... I didn't put this here. I didn't sneak in this book and write that in your Bible. That's what your Bible's always said. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So if a man is praying to God and has long hair like a woman, like it's a covering, a sign of submission, or wears a hat, that dishonors God. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So it's like she was being shaved off like a prostitute, as they used to do if they'd catch a woman whoring around. They'd shave her head off, shave her hair clear off. For if a woman is not covered... If she's not going to really cover herself, she's going to go around bearing a butch and not a full head of hair, reasonably long, as a symbol of femininity and her willingness to submit to her husband or whatever. Let her be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman uh, to be shorn or shaven, then let her be covered. Let her have a full covering type of hairdo. I know, brethren, and you older women know, that as a woman gets older, her hair doesn't often look as good. If it's way along, it's harder to get stiff and it's hard to keep up. So it's all right for a woman to have slightly shorter hair as she gets older. It won't be great long flowing hair like some of the Hollywood actresses used to have. We understand that, but it's still very feminine. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, verse 7, read this, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Was Paul a sexist? That's what a lot of modern preachers, especially women preachers, would say. Well, this is just the, the customs of the time. No, it was not the customs of the time. It was not the customs of the time to say the Sabbath was made for man. It was not the customs of the time to say that American Britain are going to be punished and brought down and out if they turned away from God. It's not the customs of the time here. This is the Word of God. And as Mr. Wakefield explained, we need to prove it. It's always turned out right. It always will turn out right. So we want to understand this is the mind of God. How is man more directly the image and the glory of God? Because he is made physically bigger, stronger. His voice is stronger. His personality is stronger. He has more of an all-ranging, powerful mind to be more objective in many ways. That's why of all the writers of the Bible... All the judges in the major nations of ancient Israel were men, except a rare exception. And again, like Margaret Thatcher, this one woman came along. Most of the other women that were prophets were just giving a prophecy when you look it up, a local message from God. But the one woman was a prophetess, and she then was leading Israel into battle. And what's his name? Barak. He wouldn't go along, and she had to finally, Deborah had to act like a mother, as it says in Israel. Read that. She said, Barak, little boy, I'll go to battle with you if that's what you have to have, but you won't get any honor being led into battle like a, by a woman. She knew that herself. That was not ideal. Normally, a man ought to do those things. God has given him greater capacity to do those things. That's why the Einsteins and nearly all the great inventors down through human history have been men. It's not that they're better in a sense of righteousness, they're not better looking, surely. I don't want to marry a man 
some man comes to marry me, I'll, I'll give him a knuckle sandwich as I don't get too old. Or I'll hit him with my cane, you know, as a kid. I, I want a beautiful woman to be my companion, to be my help, to be the other half of my life, to make my life more rich and to help me in so many ways that only a woman can do. But a man is to be the leader, and he reflects that kind of leadership and creative imagination and courage envision to seeing new things and bringing new things into existence and so on, he more directly reflects the mind of God and always has in all nations, not just a Christian idea, in all nations everywhere for the last 6,000 years of recorded history. So the man is made in the glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. Verse 8, for man is not from woman, in the original sense, man was made directly by God, but woman from man. So Eve came right out of Adam's body. Adam's rib was made into a woman, nor was man created for the woman. And again, the women's livers won't like this, but the woman was created for the man. That's why God brought her into existence. And I'd like, without offending you older women, could help the younger women figure this out. I'm sure most of you agree with me. Some young women have been pumped through the idea, no, no, this is what God says, brethren. The woman was created to be a help to her husband. And that's why she's here. That's why God made Eve in the first place. There was, God brought all the animals to Adam, as you remember the story. There was not found a help for Adam. So then he brought Eve to Adam. He created her out of Adam, part of Adam's body. When Adam got awake, suddenly he saw Eve and he said, Wow, <laughs> this beautiful creature you brought, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And he recognized that God had made something beautiful just like him who had the same overall capacity and the same nature in that overall way he did. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority. In other words, that she's under authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman. No, we can't be born today without a mother, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as the woman was from the man in the beginning, Eve came from Adam, even so the man is also through the woman. She gives us birth but all things are of God. So God is the one that gives us all life and breath and makes us the way we are. But if we can understand that, we can understand our roles as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, and then we can honor our mother for doing what she does, and we can honor our father, and then we can project beyond that and understand God, Almighty God, the Creator, is the ultimate Father. He has the greatest overall balance and wisdom and creative capacity and power, the greatest power in the entire universe. Nothing can stay his hand. If God decides to intervene and shake this building right away, he will do it. Nothing will stop it. Nobody. If I'm thrown in prison later on, or Mr. Ames says, or any of the rest of us are preaching the truth too powerfully, and they throw us in jail... There's some special high-security prison somewhere out in Colorado. I hear I've never been there, thankfully. I've heard about it. It's supposed to got all the latest contraptions and gadgets and technological things to keep the prisoners inside and so on. They can put me there. Boy, I'm really sunk then, aren't I? No. God can get me out of that just like that. 
God can get anyone out of anything just like that. What if they start to persecute us and they strap you into something and say, we're going to shoot you into outer space? And they literally put you on a space missile. And if you don't recant, if you don't say, I give, I'm, I'm sorry, I repent, and I'll join your church or I'll deny God. If you're shot in a missile into outer space, is that the end? Outer space? I think you've heard me explain this. Let's say here is space. And then well, let's say here is space, frankly, just a little knob on the beginning here is where we are. And then outer space would be kind of out to the edge of this little top here. But then where is God? He's out here somewhere. You're not going to get beyond God. God could bring you down from 10,000 miles out or 10 million miles out. It doesn't make any difference. He is our Father. He will heal us. He will deliver us. He will fight our battles. And He will never leave us or forsake us. Just like my dad was steadfast. He never forsook me. He never forsook Catherine or Patty, my sisters. He never forsook my mother until He died. And God does not die. He will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what happens to us, if we honor Him, and we try to take the place in life God wants us to take and not get bitter, not get out of whack, or not turn away from God because people even around here and people around the work in Mr. Armstrong's time over and over and over, brethren, I'm not exaggerating, they said when this thing folds up, read it in his own autobiography. The money wasn't coming in. People were all scared. And a lot of the people were saying when this thing folds up, they thought it was going to come to an end. Well, it never came to an end. And when Mr. Armstrong died, it was bigger than ever. No, God's work is never going to fold up as long as we serve God. Now, what's left of worldwide has folded up pretty much, and it's even taken a different name, completely thrown away the doctrines. But we're carrying on that work, and this work will not fold up if we hold on to those basic things. And some people back in that day said, well, Mr. Armstrong didn't deal with this problem, or Mr. Armstrong spent too much money in the auditorium. Or Mr. Armstrong off of that Stan Raider and we don't trust him. Or blah, 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 blah. Was God impressed with that? No. He was impressed with their carnality. <laughs> he let his human servant, Mr. Armstrong, made mistakes. Certainly he made mistakes. And I'm more than better than perhaps anyone who's still alive. But I honor him. God used that man more than any human being for hundreds and hundreds of years as far as we can possibly tell. But he was human. He was not perfect. But God used him in spite of making certain mistakes. I'll make some mistakes, and Mr. Ames will make some mistakes. Dr. O'Neill will make some mistakes. Dr. O'Neill and I may decide to move some minister somewhere he doesn't like to go. And maybe his wife is beating on his ear, well, you know, that Doug O'Neill and Rod Meredith, they don't like us, and they go on and on and on about it. This has happened. This happened all the time back in Mr. Armstrong's time. And people got moved around all over the Hall of Administration and over in the, the Administrative Annex building. And I remember the joke. The moving crew had this joke quite often when people would come into their new office where they're moved to. They'd say, well, now I'm getting a new office. Is this the right one? And then they'd say, well, who's my new boss going to be? They didn't even know. And people were being moved around a lot during certain times when Mr. Armstrong was gone and Raider was running the work, or Ted was running the work, or Robert Kuhn was running the work, or someone was running the work, and there was confusion. But the work was still being done, and God was still alive, and the truth was being preached. The big two, 
the truth was being preached more than any place on the earth, and the work was being done more than any place on the earth, and the government of God, however imperfect, was being carried out better than any other place. Those are the real big three to always have your mind on, as I say, the big picture. So we do need to understand that and understand each of us should learn from these things. So God has given man a creative type of mind and a certain objective wisdom in order to be the leader. I know, frankly, Mr. Decotte years ago gave a talk in, right in, a, in a sermon. He said, well, God could have flipped a coin and made the woman the head, but I guess it just turned out the other way. I, said, I thought, no, Joe, God doesn't flip a coin. God created man to be the leader. That wasn't some accident. That was, that was sad that he said that. Anyway, Satan the devil is trying to undermine the whole concept of the human leadership from a man, the whole leadership from the father of the family. The father of the family is the human head. The father of the family is able to be the head, not by accident, because he's made by God to be that. And that reflects God the Father and God's whole plan in that. That's not some accident. That was God's whole plan from the beginning. Satan's busy upsetting you young people and thinking that women are the same and we're all the same and all the, the sexes are the same. And so therefore, if you want to marry another man, you men or you women want to marry another woman, what difference makes it? It makes a lot of difference to God. God made man for woman and woman for man. This society is getting so mixed up. It is absolutely amazing. And yet someone like me who's lived 83 years, I can't believe that this has happened almost. Like if I had died 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been a child. I'd been 63 years old. And awaken 20 years later and think, what, what's going on around here? It'd be like a different world and the attitudes in some of those basic ways. How quickly things change when you think of, you know, hundreds of years and thousands of years. And so you young people need to understand the mind of God and God's view of our role in life and His plan. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, we read here more about fathers and husbands and God our Father, and God is our ultimate Father. Paul writes here in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, please turn there with me, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Boy, sin grabs out at us so quickly. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Brethren, run with endurance. You'll get your feelings hurt once in a while. You'll misunderstand once in a while. I got my feelings hurt once in a while. And I got yelled at. And it wasn't always fun, but it later turned out that Mr. Armstrong was right the overwhelming majority of times. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, one of the most horrible, painful deaths ever devised by a perverted man, denying, despising the shame. There was shame being built, beaten, and hanging up there like a lump of blood with blood running down, half naked, sometimes completely naked, I hear, and says, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God in the flesh had to be hung up there like on a meat hook by little perverted men. He was willing to do that because he saw the big picture, that God is our Father. 
He is our ultimate father. He's reproducing himself. And we are, brethren, we have the ultimate opportunity to come right out from God, have his very nature put in us day by day, year by year, as we grow in grace and in knowledge, reflect God, and then be full members of the family of God, the kingdom of God, ruling the earth and later the whole universe. For consider him who endured such hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged. Don't get discouraged by trials and tests. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed. Most of us haven't had bloodshed from having to obey God and being whipped or beaten or had clubs knocked over our heads or whatever, striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortations which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if God loves you, he will spank you. And that's part of fatherhood. My father spanked me really hard on occasion. I've told you about that. I mean, dozens of times. And once in 10 or 15 times, I thought I didn't deserve it. And I'm not sure I may have deserved it even then, but I thought I didn't. And I'd go to my mother, and she would tell me the familiar truth. She'd say, well, Rod, maybe he spanked you too much this time, but think about all the times he should have spanked you, and he didn't. Okay, and that was true. That was true. My dad spanked me normally when I needed it, and needed it pretty bad. So this... this uh, intensity that you see now was there when I was a little boy and I was a feisty little boy and I was going to do what I wanted to do and I said no you're not my dad said on occasion and he taught me what for I remember Mr. Carl McNair I think Mrs. McNair is here I can't see her but anyway I hope some of the McNairs are here and uh, told me more than once and Tony Hammer Tony Hammer was uh, Mrs. Ted Armstrong's brother. I knew him. Both have told me this story, how they would kind of get to kidding around sometimes with each other, and they talk about how their fathers were both really good men and good fathers and would whip them when they needed it. And they would brag about how my father could get his belt off quicker than your father. Whip, wham! <laughs> they were proud of their father for getting his belt off quicker. Do you see what I mean? There wasn't some horrible oppression. They realized they needed it. They were young men. And later on, they laughed and thought, well, daddy gave it to me when I needed it. And he could get his belt off real fast. They looked on their father with great honor in that way. God rebukes and chastens every son he loves. And some of you brethren here, including you women, will need to be spanked by God on occasion. And God will do that in love. He may bring you down through causing you to lose status with your friends or be lose your job or have some terrible health issue or some other terrible tragedy just to shake you to the depths of your being, to wake you up before it is too late. I've had that happen to me where everything starts going wrong and finally the light in my head would go on and I would say, wait a minute, this is not normal. I think God has a message for me here <laughs> that I would wake up and begin to fast and pray. And every time, every time when I finally got that feeling, I could realize, yes, there was a message, that God had a message, and I'd better learn from this. If you endure chasing, God deals with you as with sons. This is Father's Day. God is our Father, and He will deal with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are without chastening, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. Or as the old King James says, you're bastards. He uses the bad word. The King James says, you're bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Yes, I did respect my human father. He needed to spank me on occasion. Quite a number of occasions from about age 5 to five to 12 or 14, whatever. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? He's our Father. He's called the Father of spirits. He's the Father who made us in His image. He's the Father who gives us the spirit in man, that spirit essence connected with our human brain, which gives us spiritual understanding and gives us a type of creative imagination so that no matter how long the chimpanzees live or or get together in a big cage or a whole zoo or plan things, a thousand of them or a million, they're never going to put a man in the moon or a chimpanzee on the moon. We know that. They're not made like that. Man is made like that, to have that type of creative imagination like God. He is the father of spirits. And so we better obey him and be in subjection so we can live. Do we want to die? Or do we want to take the place in life that God wants us to take and learn the lessons he wants us to learn and to live forever in the kingdom and family of God? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, a few days that is compared to eternity, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He does it for our good, that we might finally have his very divine nature put in us. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. It hurts when you're chastened by God. He could give you some terrible health thing to drive you to your knees. He could cause you to lose a loved one. He can cause you to lose your job. He could cause you to lose your leg or arm or any number of things to wake you up. You'll have to figure it out sometimes if it's just an accident and God allowed it or is there a spiritual message in there for you. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Are you willing to be trained by our Father who art in heaven Are you willing to let God train you, to teach you, to fashion you, to mold you, so you someday can be like God? Each one of us has to figure that out and be submissive to God to learn those ultimate lessons. And I hope we all will be and really want to be in God's kingdom and God's family so bad we can taste it. That's very important to want to be there very, very hard and not just sit around and think God will give us everything, but to seek God to go to God in earnest personal Bible study in deep meditation, thinking as we study, this is the mind of God. And then to pray to God, say, Father, help me understand. Help me to get it. Help me to do this. So we've got to have that attitude. Then as you turn to Psalm 33, one of my favorite Psalms, I've used it quite often. Psalm 33, verse 10. The ever-living one brings the counsel of nations to nothing. They're going to have a big council over here as in uh, Northern Ireland, I think it is, pretty soon, some big financial meeting. Barack Obama is going to try to work with Putin on making things better. Will they get better? No, they will not get better. They don't know God. He makes the plans of peoples of no effect. 
the counsel of the eternal stands forever. He planned the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is what? The true God. Not Allah. Not some false Jesus the Protestants have cooked up in their human imagination. But the real God. The God of the Bible. And the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. The eternal looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. He's watching us right now in this service. And thinking, are we learning? Are we growing? Do we get it? From the place of his habitation, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So he's fashioning each one of us individually, brethren. And we want to let him fashion us. We want to let him mold us. We want to let him and cry out to him to willingly cooperate with the lessons our Father in heaven is trying to teach us so we can be like he is, think like he is, be part of his eternal family, be full sons of God forever and fulfill the purpose which we're created, the purpose which we're drawing breath. So that's very, very important. Turn to Psalm now, if you would, uh, this time Psalm 103. I want to turn to Psalm 103, if I can... Thought I had a mark here. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 10. God says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. God has not dealt with us that way or we'd all be dead. The wages of sin is death. He's had to forgive us again and again and again. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so high is His mercy toward those who fear Him. My father was very merciful to me many, many times when I should have got a spanking and I didn't. He took care of me, provided for me no matter what. God is much more merciful because he's perfect. He will never leave us nor forsake us as long as we don't deliberately, viciously turn away. Verse 13, as a father, here it is, God is our father. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. He knows we're here just a short time. He makes allowance for our humanity because he wants us in his kingdom. He's not mean. He wants us to be like he is someday and learn all the lessons that he has in mind. Then we turn now to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, and let's begin verse 10 here also. Talking about God, I like to read it all, but to me this is a very beautiful psalm I hope you can feel as I do about it. It might seem boring, it's not exciting, and yet it's very meaningful. When you think about, brethren, and you young people, our Father in heaven, do you think about the wind going softly through the trees, and you hear the sound, and you hear the little birds twittering afar off? You think about sitting outside of your house, maybe on the back porch or the backyard, on a hiking trip out on a mountain, looking up at the stars and thinking, God is up there. My father is up there. I remember the second baptizing tour I took was with Burke McNair. It was in 1952, a few years ago, <laughs> 61 years ago. Right now, I was off driving at night through Arizona to miss the heat of the desert as we headed out from Pasadena across the desert. And so we stopped in the middle of the desert one night to get a change and some other necessary things, perhaps. And so we stopped, 
and I went up this, this uh, road that was not paved, but it had gravel, I think, and I was watching to be, see if there were snakes. I don't think I even had a flashlight, so I maybe shouldn't have been there, but the full moon, so I could sort of see where I was going, and Burke stayed back. He may have gone the other way and done the same thing. I don't know, but he went up. I went up there, and it seemed like the stars were almost down to where you could touch them. You know, in Arizona and some places in Texas is dry, and the stars seemed to come right down close. It was just beautiful. And I thought, here I am, all alone, out way off, hundreds of miles from anywhere, and God is up there. My Father in heaven has put all these stars up here, and He is my Father. And I prayed to Him very briefly for just one or two minutes, please bless and protect Burke and me, set angels about us, Please keep us from being shot because Raymond and I had been threatened with guns on the previous tour. We knew we would be, and Burke and I were too. And watch over us and help us, protect us and lead us. And then I went back to the car, and we stretched ourselves, took some little calisthenics or stretches, got in the car and drove on hundreds of miles across the desert. But our father was up there beyond the stars. Many occasions I've had like that, those twinkling stars... I remember one time my wife and I were at Lugano in southern Switzerland. It's the Italian part. And we were in a, a condominium that was a pr the uh, property of a couple in London. They're Jewish people. It was actually their father that owned the condominium and let us use it for nothing. So we went down there for two or three days. And one time they had this massive storm, the biggest storm in that particular way I've ever seen and especially the wind and the, and, and the thunder and the, the little the Lake Lugano, if you've been to that area, I'm sure Dr. Nail has, and Lake Como and others up there in northern, northern Italy and southern Switzerland are surrounded by mountains, and this had a ring of mountains all around the lake, very beautiful sight. But the storm got going and, and some, some rain, but most of all thunder and lightning. And the thunder got louder and louder and louder, and the like boom, hitting the hitting the ground, hitting the the waves out there again and again. And as I heard that noise, and literally shook, it almost like it's going to break the windows as we were getting in and out with this glass door from our inner part of the of the unit we were in there, this condominium. I wasn't scared. I thought to myself, by that time I was even older and a minister. This is the power of God. That's my father, boom, and it was spectacular because it echoed all around, around that whole mountain. God is our father. He's in charge of everything that is. And when you see a beautiful little child, when you see the smile or the beauty of a beautiful young woman, when you hear a beautiful symphony orchestra, gorgeous music and the floating feeling from that gorgeous symphony, Everything that's good and right and wonderful and beautiful comes from God. And God is your Father. And God is our Father. And so we need to understand that always and deeply appreciate that. So he does all these things. In verse 14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. He brings forth the fruit, food from the earth. And wine, we're all happy with that, wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face to sh uh, which, and bread which strengthens man's heart. And they say good bread with a wheat germ in the bread as it used to be strengthens your heart. It literally does that. 
because the wheat germ used to be in the wheat in the old days. Verse 19, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. Verse 21, the young lions roar after their prey. They seek their food from God. All the animals. He's created a wonderful variety of animals and plants all through the earth. You go to these wonderful aquariums. We went to a big, beautiful aquarium in Houston a few days, a few weeks ago. A really very good one, a new one in Houston, Texas. Just literally scores and scores of different kinds of little fish that God created. He has a sense of humor, as you know, if you see those different kinds of things. Tremendous creative capacity from our Father in heaven. He made all that. O eternal, verse 24, How manifold are your works, and wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, this great and wide sea in which the innumerable teeming things dwell, living things small and great. There the ships sail about, and there is that Leviathan, where there's still some great big sea monsters. When this was written, there may have been. When you have made, made them to play there, these all wait for you that, they, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them and give them, they gather in. You open their hand, they are filled with good. You hide their face from them. These, these creatures all over the world, even the lions, and they are troubled. You take away their breath and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth. God does that. He gives us this beautiful rain we have, more than we need sometimes. We have this beauty all around us. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles just like it did at Mount Sinai, just like it did over Lake Lagano. The whole earth shakes. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I will love God. I will be in awe of God. I will honor God, my Father. I will worship God. I will glory in the magnificent creation. I will glory in the fact that He made us male and female and gives us family and children and loved ones. I will glory in what God has done. Then we turn back to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, in your New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, brethren. And here, Jesus told his disciples something very familiar, of course. He told them not to try to show off when they pray or repeat memorized prayers, because God, you don't repeat like a monkey jabbering. You talk from your heart to God. When I went to my father, I'd say, blah, 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 blah. He would have corrected me if I did that. I talked to him from my heart. God is our Father. In this manner, therefore, pray. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father, even the unconverted disciples, He was their Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You start off by hallowing your Father, honoring your Father. That's the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother that you live long on the earth. Honor your heavenly Father. Honor your ultimate Father and you will live forever and ever and ever. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Please send Jesus soon. Help us prepare the way. Bless this work. Lead this work. Empower this work. Help us to get going. Help every one of us to do our part the best we can. Give us this day our daily bread. All our food comes from God. The very air we breathe, the water we drink. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we've got to forgive others or God won't forgive us. 
and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As it's correctly translated, there is an evil one. God has permitted out there to be part of the obstacle course to test us, to make us fully commit to really not float into God's kingdom, but to press toward the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in Philippians 5, we press in there, we do our part. So do not let Satan overcome us, but deliver us from the evil one. Then he closes with praise to God. You start your prayer with praises to God, hallowed be your name. You close your prayer, for yours is the kingdom. The glorious government that's going to take over the earth, that's going to bring peace, real peace at last, is going to crush these dictators and bring joy to men and women, little children all over the earth. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power, the supreme power in all the universe. Yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the way you pray, and that's the way we all should live. Brethren, let's honor our human fathers if they're still alive, and you can honor them or honor them in your thoughts even now and hope to see them again soon. But most of all, let's worship and obey and honor our Father who art in heaven.